welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. There you go. Morning. Morning. Uh, my name is Jessica Sembatu, and if we haven't met yet, which I hope we do soon, you're probably used to seeing me up here <laughs> singing and dancing, prancing about and whatnot, doing worship every couple weeks with my husband, Gabe. Um, and today is actually my first time preaching here at Awakening Church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and today I have the honor of preaching on the spiritual gift and practice of evangelism. Cue the dun dun dun. Like I know some of you just got like a little scared right now. Um, some of you are probably like, why did I come today? <laughs> um, I think this idea of evangelism or sharing our faith, telling others about Christ, um, yeah, some of you, maybe that word makes you feel nervous or. Um, maybe you have pain associated with that word. Maybe you're thinking about how the church has done this in really just bad and painful ways in the past. Or maybe you're intrigued right now and you have a lot of questions. Um, you know, I've titled this sermon a phrase that comes to mind for me whenever someone says, like, okay, like, evangelism. Well, let's talk about evangelism. I've titled the sermon, It's Not My Gift. <laughs> evangelism. Well, it's not my gift. Love, I would love to have it, but it's not my gift. <laughs> um, I think this is a phrase that gets brought up a lot, uh, even whether it's in your head or, or you say it out loud. Have any of you thought it, said it before? Maybe. There you go, yeah. I know. It's, one of you. it's all good. We just want to talk about it today. There's no shame for anyone who's thought that or has said that before. Um, I actually can't even take credit for the title because it was Ryan Ingram's idea. <laughs> I was talking to him about my sermon a couple weeks ago and he was like, yeah, like this phrase just comes up, it's not my gift. And I was like, you're right. Like that seems to always be this common response, you know. It's the pastor's gift, it's that really bold person's gift, it's the missionary's gift. Um, we don't often see ourselves as, you know, as in the church, as um, people of evangelism. But I hope that today, um, you would be able to take the focus off of yourself and any insecurities or confusion or pain you have about this topic of evangelism, and instead you would fix your eyes on Jesus and fix your eyes on the story of Scripture. Um, and for those of you who um, aren't Christian, my prayer is that you would consider the words of Jesus this morning. Um, but I do know the idea of evangelism can be a scary thing for a lot of us in the church, so I thought we'd start off easy and I'd share my story with you this morning. Um, to get this party started, I would love to tell you about some of my story, because I feel like I can't really talk about this genuinely or thoroughly if you don't really understand where I've come from. So just some background on me in terms of awakening. Christina shared a little bit, but I started coming to awakening when it was still a college ministry at Westgate. Um, so I was in 2010. I was a freshman at San Jose State University. Ayo, anyone? There we go. <laughs> Everyone's like, Spartan up. <laughs> Everyone was real quick on that. Um, and yeah, it was, I was going to this Awakening College Group Sunday nights with my then boyfriend at the time, Gabe Sembatu, who I would end up marrying a couple years later. And um, we now, we've been married seven years, and we have a little boy now named River. He's literally just turned two 
two days ago. Um, that's us. Um, and if I could take you a little further back than that, I am originally from Hollister, California. What up? <laughs> My parents are <laughs> Like, no one's ever from Hollister, so I'm like, um, And like I said, I went to San Jose State for school, and I got involved my freshman year with this Christian group on campus called Crew. I'd never heard of it before. Um, and what I think is an important detail of my story is that I was not looking to get involved in a Christian group my freshman year because I was not looking to be a Christian. <laughs> like, that's not something I wanted to be. I didn't want to be associated with the church at all. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I surprisingly had a really positive experience with the local church in high school, but... Um, by the time I came to college, I really didn't want anything to do with God. That's me as a freshman. <laughs> Obviously the brown-haired one, not the, <laughs> not the blonde-haired girls. Um, and you guys, I actually remember driving from Hollister to San Jose. It was just me in the car because my parents were in the other car behind me. And I had like all my crap in the back seat and I was like, <laughs> It's so embarrassing looking back now, but I was like blasting like Green Day, being like, Bleh! like I'm gonna go find myself in a big city like San Jose. And I was like, I'm, I remember thinking like, I'm so over you, God. Like I'm so over searching for you. I'm gonna go find myself. I'm just, I'm exhausted. And like, let me go to this city and find myself, <laughs> downtown San Jose. Um, it's hilarious looking back now. But um, yeah, I was just really, really burnt out. But funny enough, clearly things changed because um, my second day of living in the dorms at San Jose State University, I met a woman named Lily who was, worked for this organization called Crew. Again, I had never heard of it, but it was this Christian group. And let me tell you, you guys, I wanted nothing to do with Lily and these other students involved with Crew. Um, I was like doing my best to avoid them at all costs. Um, I, this picture is funny because this is uh, me and my girls on the way to the first football game of the school year. And we went to the tailgate and got like hammered off really cheap beer. So we just felt like death, you know? And we were like walking into the stadium, like sat down. I, I kid you not, you guys. We like look over next to us and it's like this group of students and they're like, Jessica, hi. It's like Lily and like all the crew students that I had wanted nothing to do with. They were like, oh my gosh, hi, Jess. I was like, kill me right now, like I wanna die. Um, I wanted nothing to do with them, but obviously things change because I'm here in the church right now. I'm clearly a Christian. Um, see, even though I was trying to run away from God, God was running after me. I ended up forming a real genuine friendship with Lily and some of these other students and crew. Um, and one day, a couple weeks into the school year, Lily took me out for coffee, just this place right off campus, and um, she sat down with me and shared the gospel with me, which if you don't know what the gospel means, it's just translated from the text into good news. She shared with me the good news that God offered a wonderful plan for my life and that even though I was broken and lost without him, stuck in my sin condition, he had sent his son Jesus Christ as a savior to the world and was offering eternal and abundant life to all who wanted to follow him. And I remember thinking in that moment, like this is it. This is everything I've been looking for. Even though I've been trying to run away from God, he comes running after me. And I decided that day, I wanna, I wanna follow Jesus. This is everything I've ever been looking for. Um, and I did this complete 180 in my life. 
And I'm really not being overly dramatic when I say that it's because of that moment that I'm here in the church right now. That moment changed my life. Um, ended up getting really involved with crew as a student, um, both my husband and I, and we ended up joining staff with crew after I graduated from San Jose State University in 2014. Um, we joined staff with crew to, to reach students with the gospel. Um, and this is our vision, Awakening Church. You have partnered with our vision in this, um, to see every student on every campus in the Silicon Valley have an opportunity to know Christ. And if I could just connect the dots right here of how I got from like that freshman year, Jessica, to here. Um, that same staff woman who shared the gospel with me, Lily, she ended up discipling me or mentoring me, whatever you want to call it. We would meet regularly, like once a week. Um, she would teach me things. She would teach me about what it means to follow Jesus. I would ask her questions, and we became really, really close. Um, and this one particular time was the end of my freshman year, so I had been gotten really involved with crew. I've been going to the Bible study every week. Um, she sits down with me. We're, like, doing our thing, you know, me and Lily, and um, we're sitting in the dorm quad at San Jose State University, and it's just this, this square <laughs> where you can kind of hang out, and it's surrounded by all the dorms on campus. Um, we were sitting there, and she, she sits me down, and she asks me, Jessica, you know, you were reached this year, and I've, I've been teaching you, and now you understand what it means to follow Jesus and be filled with the Spirit, and now I'm wondering if you'll come back with me into the dorms next year to go reach more girls, to go reach more Jessicas. Um, it seemed simple enough at the time, she, she pulled out this passage from Romans 10. I had never read it before, and God used her in this moment to put a calling on my life, and I wanted to share it with you. So this, if this could be the first scripture I share with you. Romans 10, 11 through 15. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, then, can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless there is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And I remember she looked at me, we're like, surrounded by college students, and she said, Jessica, who will tell them? Who's going to go? When she asked me this in that moment, I hadn't spent years studying the Bible. I hadn't even spent a year studying the Bible. I hadn't even spent a year in the church, but my life wasn't the same after that day because God was asking me, who will tell them? And my eyes were opened in this moment that it wasn't just about me. And it wasn't just for me, this gift of salvation. It wasn't just a personal gospel, it's a global gospel. I had been saved to be sent for him. And I just had this moment, um, you know, at the time, San Jose State, 30,000 students. Um, I just started thinking, how can, yeah, how can they call on this God that they've never heard of? Yes, they they know of the idea of God. They've heard sn snippets of, like, Jesus dying for their sins. They definitely know of people who identify as Christian, trust me. <laughs> but who has stepped into relationship with them? 
to tell them and show them the good, life-saving, world-changing news, the story of scripture, this story, that there is a new upside-down kingdom that is being ushered in by someone named Jesus, and it's actually all about him, the innocent lamb who was slain and resurrected from the dead to make all things new. Who will tell them about the God-man who chose to lay down his life as a ransom for many? who offers healing and hope and purpose, that there is a true king, and he's bringing in a new kingdom. How can they call on this God? My freshman year, I was one of like two or three freshmen who came to Christ through crew. Um, and then that next year, we have some, or I have some pictures kind of show the next couple years, but the next year, um, you know, they took us and we reached some more people. And this is where you'll start recognizing some people in the photos. Um, these are students we, we reached if, each year. And it just kind of, it multiplied each year. We know we take those students we reach and we teach them and we take them back into the dorms the next year. It was amazing, you guys. I have the craziest stories, like girls giving their lives to Christ in dorm common areas um, on weekday nights, students um, crying out to God in the middle of the night asking to be saved, wanting to follow him, and getting baptized a week later. Lunch dates that turned into very, very long lunch dates where people would give their lives to Christ at the end. It's been so exciting. It's been amazing. I believe God is doing an amazing, powerful thing on the college campus. And even though this is all really great and very exciting, the reason I wanted to share some of my story with you is because I do want to demystify this idea that I'm something special, because I promise I'm not. I'm very, very ordinary. I was just someone who was searching for God, and someone introduced me to Jesus Christ. And they helped me see that everyone else is searching for God as well. And not only that, but if you look at the scriptures, you see that God's rescue plan for the world is very clear. And it clearly involves us. If I could just take some time this morning, I really want to walk us through some of the Gospels today. The Gospels are just the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they account for Jesus' ministry, his life, death, and resurrection. And I want to take us to some moments in the Gospels that I think will help us understand um, what the heart of evangelism is. And I want to take us through what I believe is the calling, the commission, and the gift. And my hope is that this will give us a clear picture. Not all of your hesitations will be addressed today, probably. <laughs> um, and so if you're a follower of Christ, I'm inviting you today to listen closely to what the Spirit is trying to tell you and say to you. So I'm going to pray for us just real quick. God, this morning, would it be your words, not mine? Would it be your story, not mine? Would we come and see your goodness? Would we come and taste of your goodness and look out and see a world longing for a good God and a new heavens and a new earth? I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if we could just get into it, I want to take us to this moment after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Big moment, right? <laughs> Our whole, the, yeah, Christianity hinges on this moment of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. And he appears to his disciples. This is at the very end of the four gospel accounts in the book of John. John 20, 21, Jesus says to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And it's so simple, but right here, Jesus is announcing God's rescue plan for the world. It seems really, really clear, and I don't want to waste any time building this up this morning. The reality is, church, we are God's rescue plan for the world. This is his plan, to use us, to work through us. It reminds me of this verse in Colossians 3. It's one of my favorites. It says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. It's Christ in us. It's Christ over us. It's Christ before us. We are God's rescue plan for the world. In preparation for this sermon, I spent a lot of time in the Gospels just taking notes of all the accounts of evangelism or verbalizing this message, being a messenger, being sent. It's really cool. It's everywhere in the Gospels. I highly recommend going to read the scriptures through this lens because it's actually everywhere in the scriptures as well. You know, that part in Romans 10 that I shared, it's actually this full circle moment, um, and I don't have time to get into it, so I encourage you to go read that. But um, the author of Romans is quoting this passage from Isaiah 52.7, which is in the Old Testament. It's so beautiful. Um, it's this amazing moment of a messenger running into a city full of God's people who had been suffering and hopeless. And Isaiah 52.7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. It's full circle. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. Who say, who proclaim. Even before this John 20, 21 moment where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, it seems pretty clear that this is how God works, right? He, he wants us to be messengers with him. Um, and I think this, this idea of evangelism is not just in the Bible, right? Um, it got me thinking about this funny story that happened a couple weeks ago here at church, actually. Um, it was the very beginning of the NBA free agency season. Okay, some of you know what this is, and I kind of hate myself for using a sports reference in my sermon, but um, NBA free agency season, if you don't know what it is, it's basically a time where, like, players can get traded to other teams, and it's really dramatic because you don't know where people are going to go. Um, but it was the very beginning of the free agency season, my husband refers to this time as the best time of the year. I don't know what that means, but um, he gets very excited about it. And from what I understand, this year was particularly dramatic because, as Twitter, Twitter told me this, um, the NBA was being restored to balance, you guys. Okay? Okay? Why? Why? Can I just get a shout out? Because the near perfection, that is the Golden State Warriors. Can I get an amen? Hashtag dubnation. Are there not a lot of Warrior fans in the room? Um, but we were like, it was a big year because it was like, oh my gosh, like Kevin Durant, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Like what is happening? And so, uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were tearing down everything. We were putting it in the trucks, and my husband Gabe, which if you don't know my husband, he's very quiet, comes off very shy, very introverted, okay? Okay? He's walking out to the car, and he's on his phone, and, you know, I'm like, do my thing. River's like down here by me. And he stops. And he just freezes and stares at his phone. And I'm like, what? What happened? What's wrong? What? And my husband, Gabe, turns to us and shouts, you guys, shouts at us, oh, oh my, KD is going to the Nets, okay? Shouts it for everyone to hear. And me being a very dramatic person as well, I like look my eyes up to the heavens and I'm like, oh my God, what? 
my God. Okay, it was this huge, like, dramatic, like, gave, like, announcing this news. Um, this was life-changing news, you guys. This was world-altering news. Um, and it cracks me up because in this story, I'm like, Gabe was evangelizing that day. He was, like, telling everyone. Like, he would go to his friends and be like, did you see? Did you hear? Did you hear? Have you, Twitter? Have you been on Twitter? Like, he, he wanted to tell everyone. And I think this picture of Gabe being so overcome with information and revelation and emotion is a great picture of the heart of sharing our faith. And I'm going to take us back to it in a moment. But if I could get into these three moments of Scripture. See, it wasn't just that John 2021 20, moment. If we go over to the book of Matthew, Matthew 10, Jesus himself, while he was doing his healing ministry on earth, physically sent out his disciples to go and tell people about the new kingdom. Jesus sent them out. So he's like, go and tell people. And this is crazy to me because it's Jesus. He's God, okay? He could have just done like a reverse Thanos situation and snapped his fingers and just changed the hearts of each person, right? Like he could have chosen to do that, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to teach and send out 12. So if we look at this, Matthew 10, verse 1, says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is the calling, you guys. He is sharing his authority and his power to heal with his followers. It's amazing. He goes on in verse 27. It's good, you guys. It's good. It's intense. I'm going to warn you. Verse 27, Jesus sent them out with the following instructions. What I tell you in the dark speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. It's intense. And I personally think shouting from the roofs is a bit much, in my opinion. I'm not suggesting go and do that. I think there's some hyperbole going on here. But I kind of picture Jesus here with you, because some of you here are like, you feel this, like, whisper in your ear with Jesus. Like, you vibe with that, and you're like, yes, like, it's me and Jesus. Like, got my cup of coffee, got my tea, like, do my Devo, and, like, it's so good. Like, it's so good, me and Jesus. Like, just me and him. And I picture him here with you, and he's like, look, I love this. I love you, but could you, like, tell people about me? <laughs> could you tell people about this? this life-changing experience you're happening, happening with me. And he continues in verse 28. Again, it gets intense. It seems like he really wants us to get something here, though. Verse 28, it says, Do not be afraid for, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. For whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before the Father. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before the Father. This is very intense. Why? Is he trying to manipulate us or scare us into doing something for him? Right? He's telling us, be afraid. Be afraid of me. You know, when I look at the gospel accounts, I see that Jesus is never the one to try and manipulate someone into following him. In fact, there are even these strange moments in Scripture where Jesus will perform a miracle and then just leave the scene. Like, he doesn't want to be associated with it. It's bizarre. There's even some moments where he tells his disciples specifically, he tells them, do not tell anyone about this. Do not tell anyone about me. And it's like, what? Why? Um, he did this because it wasn't quite time for him to lay down his life yet. 
And so we can clearly see that Jesus, even though he is God, remember, he could have just done reverse Thanos situation. He desires true relationship, true followers. He is not manipulative, coercive, or pressuring. In fact, he often gives people outs when it comes to following him. I think of the rich young ruler. I think of Pilate. I think of one of my favorite moments in the Gospels when Jesus had hundreds of followers at the time and he was teaching them. Jesus himself was teaching people. He gives us really hard, intense teaching and it says many walk away from him. It says hundreds leave. And there are only 12 left with him. And he looks at them, at the 12, and he asks them, you don't want to leave as well, do you? And Simon Peter says, where else can we go, Lord? You hold the words of eternal life. And to me, this moment shows Jesus is not after his own fame. He's not after crowds. But he is after true hearts, and he is after the heart of every person. But if manipulation is not at the heart of Christ, then it's definitely not going to be at the heart of sharing our faith, right? Um, I like to think of evangelism as an art, not a science. It's not a formula that you punch in to get a specific result. Um, It's not about making people become like you. It's not about behavior modification. Um, It's not even trying just to get people like in a church culture. Like, no, that's not what it's about. Of course, there are wise and thoughtful ways to share faith, which I believe in 100%. Like, hear me out. I work for an organization that created, like, gospel tracts, (laughs) like, for spiritual laws, knowing God personally. I believe they're helpful. I believe they're valuable. Several people in this room have come to Christ through those tools, including me. But there is no magic bullet in evangelism. This comes from relationship with Christ. We are co-journers with other people. We are also on a journey of being saved by him. In this Matthew 10 passage, it's this picture of Jesus' plan for us as followers. These examples of Jesus sending out his disciples to tell others about the new kingdom and drive out demons and heal the sick, Jesus is setting up this picture for what following him looks like and what the new kingdom is going to look like. So we've been called to share the good news And we have been commissioned. And for those of you who are familiar with the Great Commission, you had to know I was going to go here this morning. Um, If you read the Gospels, we arrive, and at the book of Matthew, we arrive at the very end. Again, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he appears to his disciples. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. See, if I could talk to the Jesus followers in the room right now, the ones who say that they're all in, If we really believe that this is true, the gospel, that even though we as humans self-destructed by walking away from a holy God, a perfect world with order and meaning, and we ruined every opportunity to have relationship with him, the God of Genesis 1 still chose to become one of us, to become a human, born of a virgin. (laughs) Talk about miracles. (laughs) Born of a virgin, lived among us in the constraints of a human body, lived a tempted and yet sinless life, betrayed by his best friend, 
sentenced by the, to death by the ones he came to save, chose to lay his life down, chose, as a ransom for many, emptying himself of every divine privilege and power, to die naked and ashamed on a cross on a hill for all to see, dead for three days, raised to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sin and death itself, and then ascending back into the heavens. This is, this story is insane, you guys. Isn't this the most amazing thing you've ever heard of in your whole life? Right? This is our God. This is what we're talking about. And so when that God-man, Jesus, resurrects from the dead and appears to his disciples with all authority after conquering death, and he says, now go and tell them, now go and make disciples, it's not if we go, it's how we go. We don't go because we're forced to. We go because we overflow. And just, you know, we're talking about evangelism, but evangelism is just the beginning, you guys. It is not about converts. It is not about numbers. It is about making disciples. It's spiritual multiplication. It's about becoming a part of the family. Because even for those of you who have said yes to following Jesus, remember, we're continually being saved. It's just bringing people in on this journey with us. We have been called, we've been commissioned, but some of you are still wrestling with this thought of like, you don't understand, like, it's not my gift. Like, I, I am not good at this. Like, I am not cool. I am not good at talking even. I want to help us see the true gift that we can focus on. What I just explained to you, the gospel, the gospel message, the gift that Jesus Christ offers us, Is this not your gift? If we believe that this good news is true, that there is a living savior of the world, how can we just sit back? How can we sit back just sipping on living water whenever we feel like we need it while we watch the world drink its own poison to a slow and painful death? Will you share this living water that has saved your soul and quenched your thirst? I know it's an intense question. To help us wrestle with it, I want to take us to this third moment with Jesus that I think shows us the heart of sharing our faith. Some of you know it. It's the story of the woman at the well, John 4. It's one of my absolute favorite stories in all of scripture. If you've never studied it, you need to. It's changed my life. I come back to it all the time. It's this... um, It's this moment where Jesus has this encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well, and the whole thing is incredibly symbolic to show the announcement that the Messiah has come. And for starters, what I love about this story is for Jesus to um, go and meet this woman at the well, he wasn't originally planning to go see her. He was traveling to a other destination, like way over here, and she was over here, and he would have had to go way out of his way to, to meet her. Um, And I feel like we have so much to learn from him on that. He's gone out of his way directly to a woman who was outcast in her culture, and they have this amazing interaction where Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they have this final exchange of words that if I could just draw you really quick to the end of this story. Jesus tells this woman, the Messiah that you know is coming, I am. I am he. You come to this well each day to get water, but what if you never thirsted again? What if you drank from living water? 
After this encounter with Jesus, she immediately leaves her water, um, her water jar at the well. And I know so many of you have had a moment like that with Christ before. Just the revelation of, oh my gosh, like, like my story, like this is everything I've been looking for. You just leave behind your old life and you come to Jesus. But you know what I love about this moment with this woman? Her first form of active worship um, that we can see in the text. Do you know what she did? Homegirl immediately went into the next town and told everyone, I just met a man. <laughs> this is her first form of, of worship. She didn't have adequate training. She didn't even know his name, at least from what we can see in the text. But she was overflowing. She just met the long-awaited Messiah. And she was like, they need to hear about this man. I love this girl. She's embodying the tiny amount of faith she has. She's embodying what just happened to her. It wasn't just intellectual. It wasn't just emotional. It was action. She couldn't help it. And I believe we have so much to learn from this woman that this is the heart of evangelism. This is the heart of sharing the good news of Christ. And this is what um, Gabe and I, we teach our college students. You know, it doesn't come from a place of acquired knowledge. Um, it's not just the pastor's job. You know, I, I haven't been to seminary. I didn't grow up in the church. But that doesn't matter to God. You don't need a specific spiritual gift for this. This, like as the woman at the well shows us, this is just life change. This is about the gift we have all received and is offered to all. Again, it's not just about the gift we've received. It's that Christ is offering it to all. This is, I was dead and now I'm alive. So when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, it's an invitation to join him in offering the living water that only he can supply. But I do know that so many of us are afraid in this room. We're, we're just afraid to step out in faith in this area, fear of failure, embarrassment, or loss. I've been there. Um, maybe you have a certain image you would like to maintain that if you started being the person who talks about Jesus, that would just start to like crumble and fade. Um, maybe you're trapped under a lie that God can't use you in this way because of your personality or your social skill level or disability you have. Maybe you were once really pushy and overly zealous with sharing the gospel, and so you've shrunk back into silence. Or maybe you're afraid of being too pushy, and so you, just the thought of stepping out at all and the, the chance of being too pushy just makes you want to shrink back. And I get it. I've been there with all these fears. I've missed, I've missed lots of opportunities, you guys. I've embarrassed myself. I've been left with so much anxiety because I've been unable to control what people think of me. And on top of that, I know Many of you in here are probably just exhausted. Culturally, spiritually, emotionally. Um, and I know some of you in here are exhausted to the point where it's even hard to process, like a lot of the stuff I'm saying. And I just want to speak to you this morning. I, I felt led to add this to my notes last night. Um, I have a word for you because... Um, for, for those of you who fear, feel weary and discouraged and filled with doubt and sadness about whether it's your life personally or whether it's just sadness about the world we live in right now, the injustices that happen in the world, and maybe you're sitting here like, how can I think about like, sharing my faith and acting like everything is sunshine and rainbows when the world just feels like it's burning around us? Um, I wanted to keep it real this morning. These past two years, for me, have marked seasons of really significant doubt, you guys. 
like doubt about God, crying out to God, are you even good? God, where are you? I feel like I don't even know you. Um, and I truly, I'm, I'm being honest right now, just in places of despair. The gospel is the only thing that has actually given me a sense of rest and hope in this painful world that we live in. And it is painful. And I feel like I need to acknowledge it because I don't want to act like this is all sunshine and rainbows. Um, you know, just from everything, everything happening right now, just the horrid realities happening to families at the borders, um, the violence and suicide rate amongst the LGBTQ community is not right. I, it's even just little, little things. Did you guys know Flint, Michigan still doesn't even have clean water? <laughs> like, I'm like, what kind of world do we live in? Where are you, God? And it honestly has left me pretty depressed in some seasons and sends me into sadness and anger with God. But every time I have come to him with this or have tried to run away from him, the gospel, the story of scripture is the only thing that gives me an explanation for this and gives me hope. Because the gospel tells us that God was the first one to say that this world is not as it should be. And he actually did something about it. He sent his son to take on the wrath of the suffering and to usher in a new kingdom where he is making all things new. So his calling and his commission and his gifts still stand in the place of discouragement and fear. And on top of that, I believe our Savior himself is someone that we can look to for comfort when we feel afraid and anxious, humiliated, doubtful. It reminds me of the cross. It reminds me yet again of what Jesus offered, he himself who was scorned and shamed and put to death by the ones he came to save. So when you step out and take a step of faith to share and you're worried about your reputation and your image, I invite you instead to think of the one who hung naked and ashamed on a cross for the world and for the world to see. I know that humanity is tired and thirsty. Evangelism is not about cornering someone into a pressure moment or proving your point or stringing the right words together to a perfectly crafted presentation. It's about offering a drink. It's about offering others, come and taste what I've tasted. Come and see what I've seen. Do you want to see this man? You know, I think of like, I'm sure you guys all have a favorite restaurant that you love to tell people about. Like, you got to try it. Like, you got to taste the food, you know? That's, to me, that's like the heart of evangelism. Because you don't ever get that wrong, right? You're like, no, I don't. Come check out my favorite restaurant. Um, this is what I think evangelism, this is, I think our posture with evangelism should be like. It's just come and meet this man. Do you want to meet him? And as Chris taught on two weeks ago, some of you do have this spiritual gift of evangelism, and you're not even going to know it until you step out in faith and try it. You know, for me, this isn't a gift I, <laughs> like I wanted necessarily, but once I was inspired to step out in faith, I discovered that my overflow did come very easily to me, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and I was amazed at just seeing people connect the dots and seeing their eyes light up. And it was like every time I got to offer a drink to someone, it was like I got to drink of it again. So how do we offer a drink? Um, I'm getting towards the end, but I did want to leave you with a, 
a definition of successful evangelism. Because maybe right now you're like, okay, but if I go do it, like, how do I know if I'm doing it right? And like, what if I'm doing it wrong? So in Crew, we have a definition, and I love it, and I'm going to share it with you guys. Successful evangelism is taking the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and leaving the results up to God. Let me tell you, the hardest part of this definition is taking the initiative, because it's going to rub up against everything you love about yourself and your comfortable life. But I invite you to remember how Christ took the initiative with us. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the woman at the well. She took a drink, and she had to share it with others. My encouragement to you, church, is to be ready to share the gospel when people are thirsty and wanting a drink. And at the end of it all, we leave the results up to God. It's not... Ooh, it is not about how well we share, <laughs> and it is not up to us how people respond. And if they don't want to drink right now, we need to be okay with that. We need to understand. Not everyone is ready for it. See, when it comes to telling others about the good news of Christ and giving them an opportunity to respond, who are we to say that it's not my gift to do this? Who are we to tell God what we will and will not do for him? As a church, let us seek to be ready. Let us be on our knees in prayer. It is going to take the whole global church to make disciples of all nations. And you have been gifted. You have been gifted with the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit working in you. The Spirit will show you how to share with humility and boldness, and the Spirit will empower you when you're scared. It's not up to you how people respond. Remember the Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, not you. It's not up to you how people respond. It's not your gift. It's his gift. It's Jesus' gift that he's offered us, and Christ is offering out his gift, his cup of living water, to a world, and he wants to do it with you because you were the joy set before him at the cross. And this is a family now, his creation. It's a world of peoples being restored to him, a world of people where the joy set before him. And he's inviting others to the table. See, he's called you. He's called you ambassador and child and friend. So I invite you to take hold of your identity as a disciple maker and your calling. Rise up and share the living water with your family and your neighbors and your friends in discernment and prayer. Don't do it without the Spirit. Is this not your gift to share? And we do this together, Awakening. I believe our church is uniquely positioned for such a time and place as this. I believe that the Silicon Valley is a place that the world is coming to. And some of you are only here for a few years. You kind of view yourself as just passing through. But what if God placed you here not just for a certain job or a certain season of life, but to have an opportunity to see the beauty of the nations coming to Christ and coming to his table together? It's not just about you getting to come to the table. Look out and see the nations thirsting for gospel waters. Church, as I'm closing, if you believe that 1 Peter 2.9 is addressed to you as God's chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. 
won't you offer others a drink? Make room at the table and agree together that we want our brothers and sisters to join us because remember, we are God's rescue plan for the world. This is how he wants it to be. As the Father has sent his son, Jesus Christ, he is now sending us.